the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. He is considered by many to be one of the most influential gospel crossover singers of the 21st century. He is known in the San Francisco Bay Area as not only the man that sang Oh Happy Day, but the group of family, the Hawkins Family Singers, have been an influential part of Bay Area gospel music for decades now. Sadly, we lost gospel star Edwin Hawkins at the age of 74. Joining me now on the phone is Edwin's younger sister, Lynette Hawkins-Stevens. Lynette, thank you for taking time to be with us today, and our condolences on the passing of your brother. Thank you for allowing me this opportunity. Appreciate it. The kind of influence that he made on gospel music, particularly as I think arguably one of the earliest crossover singers that made it from mainstay gospel music into the mainstream, goes clear back to the 1960s and, of course, really laid the foundation for a legacy that has continued with both your brother and your family to this day. As you think back on your brother's legacy, what are some of the things that that come to top of mind about his life, his music, and his career for you? Well, we grew up in a close-knit family. Um, We were uh, poor (laughs) growing up. We grew up in the project, and there was always music, and uh, music was just in us from both sides of our family, my father's side, mainly my mother's, though. There were jazz musicians, all kind of musicians and singers. And so it was just in our heart to make a joyful noise, to sing. And, of course, the gifts and talents came out as we grew older. Um, I'm the youngest. I tell it from my perspective, from what they told me growing up, uh, the first um, Hawkins family group was exactly that. My older siblings, uh, Edwin was on the piano, uh, feet not able to touch the pedals, but he played and grew in music and wrote and sang. Uh, Edwin being a, a very private kind of a person all of his life, uh, very shy. Uh, but when he put his hand to pen and also sang and played, um, there was it was another person there, so to speak. Um, and I can now say that it, it was God through him. Um, and so a lot of music came out of the home 
through Edwin and through my other brothers, uh, Walter Bishop, the late Bishop Walter L. Hawkins recorded, was with Edwin. We were all with him from the beginning, with the exception, I should say, of myself. I was the youngest, so I wasn't able to travel a lot with them in the early years, but later on. However, um, it was always, it always stemmed from love. That's what our parents taught us, that love is God. And whatever you do, it should be done in love. Whoever you encounter, it should be done in love. And so the music stemmed from that as well. Um, sharing the love of Christ with everyone that we come in contact with. And of course, that quite quite ironically in this story, where today many gospel musicians start out with the intention of trying to get the so-called crossover hit, with your mm-hmm. brother, it was quite accidental. In fact, as I recall the story, back in the late 1960s, some handful of Bay Area radio stations started playing an album that was locally recorded, meant for consumption by the church here in the Bay Area, called Let Us Go Into the House of the Lord, and suddenly yeah the track, Oh Happy Day, started to gain some attention. And so in every yeah. respect, he, he was, I think, the first true and completely unintentional crossover artist, which I think also points to, to the power and the, the capability that your brother had as a musician. Absolutely. And I love sharing this story. Um, Edwin recorded the... That first recording was done solely, as you as you stated, in other words, uh, solely for the distrib- distribution to the community. And, um, of course, the um, radio people back then, a lot of the stations were called underground stations. Anyway, they got hold of it, and their history, it just took off. I believe he, he recorded it on a two-track machine, if anybody can remember or knows about that. Um, and God, again, God took that. It, you say you use the word unten- and intentional. It, it certainly was on Edwin's part because, first of all, Oh Happy Day would not have been, it was not his choice to um, promote that particular song. There were there was another song, and I can't recall it immediately, on that recording that he was looking at uh, promoting. And so, you know, it just spread it like nobody's business all over the country and then all over the world. Um, it was certainly unintentional on Edwin's part, but we believe and know now that it was God's doing um, and if you just the message to me is that if anyone uh, is in uh, a Christian or uh, wanting to share the love of Christ um, via music, that you not be so busy about trying to make it happen. If it's something that God wants 
in promoting himself, he will allow it. He'll make the way for you. And I believe that's what took place. And isn't it fascinating, too, to note that oftentimes when we think of crossover songs, they tend to be songs whose lyrics are neutral enough that it's kind of applicable on both sides. So we can sing, you know, I'm in love with you, and that can match Mm -hmm. as we're singing a song to our um, husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or to the Lord. But in this case, the lyrics of Oh Happy Day is very clear exactly what the the scriptural and spiritual intention of those lyrics are. Nobody could look at that song and say, well, you know, you could kind of make it out to be anything. I mean, that is straight up, bold face <laughs> gospel mu- music, for which, by the way, your brother won a Grammy Award. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that's the marvel, you know. Um, you know, back, I mean, before there was question about crossover um you know it was very difficult to have anything um religious gospel whatever you want to call it to be played on secular stations uh, or played in nightclubs i mean it's just uh it's amazing uh what took place with oh happy day on its launch As we mentioned, um, sadly, your brother passed away at the age of 74 in his home here in the Bay Area. There's going to be a time of celebration. And I guess that's really the word, isn't it? While while clearly there's a sense of of mourning and loss for you and for uh, your family and all the loved ones, uh, this event coming up Tuesday and Wednesday, February the 6th and 7th, are are truly going to be celebrations in every, every sense of the term, aren't they? Absolutely, yes. We're celebrating his life and the accomplishments that God, that he allowed God to um, uh, manifest through him. So, um, I mean, so many that we cannot, we don't have time to mention. Um, But, uh, yes, we will be celebrating his life. Celebration of the life and ministry of Edwin Hawkins will be taking place this coming Tuesday and Wednesday. That's February the 6th and 7th, both nights at 7 p.m., hosted by Harbor Light Church. That's located at 4760 Thornton Avenue in the city of Fremont. Again, 4760 Thornton Avenue in the city of Fremont, a celebration of the life and ministry of the late Edwin Hawkins. Again, the dates Tuesday and Wednesday, that's February the 6th and the 7th, each night at 7 p.m. And I would suspect in many respects, Lynette, that's because you're anticipating so many people to come out and be part of the celebration that just really practically can't be done in one evening. Oh, my God. There are so many people who have already let us know that they will be there, and it's just tremendous. And people that, uh, I mean, he affected so many people, and it would just be impossible to have a place to hold all the people who would love to attend. But there's going to be a lot of people. It will indeed, in every sense of the term, as we said a moment ago, be a celebration of his life and ministry and of the legacy of Edwin Hawkins. Again, that'll be Tuesday and Wednesday, February the 6th and 7th, 7 p.m. each night at Harbor Light Church, 4760 Thornton Avenue in the city of Fremont. And for more information, you can call area code 510-636-1805. That's 510-636-1805. Lynette Hawkins-Stevens, thanks so much for your time today, and again, our condolences. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, it's amazing. We look at the way technology and information has changed so rapidly, and we see the growing face of the demographics in our nation today, uh, certainly uh, most notably in a state like California. Somebody had a comment to me the other day, you know, for much of the early history of the United States up until uh, probably the last 50 or 60 years, and and to a great degree it continues to this day, though not as prominently, uh, America had been the biggest and most active sending nation in terms of sending nations or sending individuals overseas to the nations to bring about uh, the um, dissemination of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've learned in more recent years that uh, while that can be effective, uh, even more still, it's effective to help train nationals because not only is it um, better stewardship from the economics of it all, but then, too, you're not having to call upon individuals to suddenly immerse themselves in a new culture, a new language, new surroundings, which takes some time for acclimation before you can really become effective at what you're doing in terms of ministering to people on the ground in country. With all of that said, a buddy of mine the other day made the observation. He says, you know, with the changing demographics of America and the way the Internet uh, has has made this um, spinning sphere of ours called planet Earth so small, it's almost as if the world has come to us. And in many degrees, it has. And this is a, perhaps a renewed opportunity for we as the church, the body of Christ, to understand the rare and unique opportunity that we have to uh, share the good news, to share that hope. Uh, and the and the good news of the answer that we have through Christ Jesus. With that thought in mind, when we talk about um, the world and we get down to the missiology of of a Christian worldview, what exactly is that? What do we mean by that? Well, with some in-depth look at how to become a world-class Christian, becoming a part of God's global kingdom, we're joined now by a best-selling author, Paul Brothrick. And uh, Paul, great to have you on the program tonight. Thanks, Greg. Good to be out on the West Coast, at least by voice. Yeah, I must say, I, I guess welcome back. As I understand it, the last time that you were out here, uh, unless there's an in-between trip that I hadn't heard about, the last time you were out in our fair city, there was a whole lot of shaking going on. Oh, I think I've had a few trips in between. Yeah, okay. I was, <laughs> I was there during uh, the October 1989 shake-up. Uh, I think it was in 89, wasn't it? Or was it 91? 1989, October 17th, to be precise. I was down at the Hyatt Regency Burlingame at a conference. I was teaching at about 5.15, and the room began to shake. Of course, I thought it was the Holy Ghost coming upon us, but it turned out to be an earthquake, which was my first and only earthquake experience. I'm from the Boston area all my life, and uh, so it was quite an unusual experience, to say the least. Well, we're we're pleased uh, to have the distinction of uh, having provided you with your first and and hopefully only experience in in such matters. But it's interesting as we start our visit tonight, uh, Paul, with a reference to uh, the the ground shaking. We've certainly seen a lot of that, too, in the spiritual realm, haven't we? I made reference in my opening remarks to how the world is getting so much smaller and how that in many respects, as we had been uh, the, the largest and most active sending nation in terms of sending missionaries overseas, how that in many respects, the world is now coming to us. Absolutely. And, you know, outside of the actual time that Jesus walked the earth, I actually can't think of a time in Christian history that's more exciting to be alive than today. 
partly because all those American and European lives that got laid down as uh, martyrs for Christ, you know, a century and a, or 50 years ago, uh, their lives have brought forth fruit, and now you have uh, the whole church, as the saying goes, taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And uh, it's just a staggering thing. And as I think you quoted earlier, uh, the world has come to us. And I was reading not too long ago a statistic that said the United Nations is citing the fact that the United States is the only country on Earth with someone from every other country on Earth living in it. Hmm. And, we, you know, when we used to have to go to some really difficult places, in many respects, many of us can reach the unreached peoples of the world simply by reaching out to the... Uh, you know, our Muslim co-worker or the, uh, the Buddhist guy who's down the street or the Hindu who happens to be my medical doctor. I mean, you know, it's, it's amazing how the world has changed. We sit here with these devices in the palm of our hand that allows us to text, email. Uh, we can look up uh, websites anywhere around the globe. I think we certainly today, as, as Americans, have got a pretty good understanding of what it means to be globally connected. But I have to wonder, though, Paul, from a Christian perspective, um, as much as the, the technology has advanced quite nicely, has the theology kept up with it, meaning uh, as, as we understand what it means to be globally connected, do Christians really understand also what means to be uh, globally concerned? I think that that's an excellent question, um, and I think obviously the answer is going to vary according to the Christian you talk to. The, the sad reality is that technology has given us access to more knowledge than any of us can possibly handle. And as a result, uh, we can become either numb to it or we just shrug it off and say, I can't do anything, I can't make any difference at all. And, uh, you know, you mentioned this book, Being a World-Class Christian. Um, it, it's really about trying to help people see that, you know, you might not be able to change the world, but you might be able to do something of global significance right in your own community, right in your own neighborhood, or at your workplace, or something like that. But I think you're right. It's, technology has made it uh, so overwhelming that you know you, you you go live to the tsunami in Sri Lanka and by the third day of seeing it you're just numb to it because you can't really do that much about it and it's just another news report to you after a while and i think that's you know we most of us have forgotten to be praying for Egypt and yet a year ago Egypt was every day in the news now it's still going through the news but we're not paying as much attention to it because yeah. we have kind of a Attention well, and the new technology, too, you know, where uh, heretofore it might have taken months for the news to arrive from overseas and be disseminated across the spans of a country like the United States, uh, typically by word of mouth, uh, telegraphed to a degree, and, and, and the printed page now happens in the matter of seconds, and as quickly as it comes, it's also uh, just as quickly replaced by something else. Uh, you, you made reference to the idea that we might be able to make some changes, we might be able to have some influence, but I have to wonder, uh, as Christians living in this modern world, with all that's going on around us, as we speak to that notion of being globally Concerned. Is this something that is an option for some believers, or does it really kind of narrow down to being a mandate? Well, it depends on what Bible you're going to use. <laughs> I mean, frankly, if you look in the Scriptures, you cannot escape the fact that God's vision, God's view is for the world and for His people, 
because for whatever mysterious reason God has chosen to do His work in the world through people, broken people, forgiven people like you and me, and every one of us has some degree of responsibility. In other words, the mandate, since you used that word, that Jesus gave before He ascended into heaven, you know, to make disciples of all nations, or to preach the gospel to all creation, or to uh, to be, you know, preach the gospel beginning in Jerusalem to all the nations. I mean, all those things that they still um, remain for each Christian today. And our question is not where we are sent. I'm sorry. Our question is not if we are sent into the world. The question is where. And you know, opening our eyes to the global realities that God said in the Psalms. You know, declare my glory to the nations, my wonderful deeds to all peoples. That's still binding on us today. It's not a matter of just, you know, tucking ourselves away in our safe little bubble and uh, and thanking God that we have a nice, prosperous life. It's about looking out into the world and saying, what difference can I make that God has unique me, uh, uniquely equipped me for? Today, we're talking about uh, what it means to be a world-class Christian. Uh, let me be careful that we didn't say a worldly Christian. A lot of folks have got that down pat. We're talking about being a world-class Christian. And with us is best-selling author Paul Brothwick. We're going to come back after a brief timeout, dive a little bit deeper in here, you know, as we talk about the way in which uh, television and satellite and the Internet and technology has uh, has brought us closer together. I wonder if it's also made us easier to be more uh, spectators as to what is going on in the world around us, as opposed to being participants. We'll dive into that question as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps. And uh, I believe that our ed- education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and... <laughs> I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our children. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, we thank you very much. That that tortured answer, as much as we listen to it, also demonstrative of a huge need for uh, deeper education, when you begin to realize that beyond the notion that uh, fewer than three in ten graduates thinks it's important to know the locations of countries in the news, and fully 66% can't even find Iraq or Saudi Arabia on a map, that a large percentage of them even can't, uh, can't even find America. Of course, I guess they lack maps. Call Google on that one, would you? I, it just is demonstrative of what seems to be a greater level of global connectivity, and yet we're we're not even participating. We're just kind of very casual spectators to it all at many levels. We're visiting today with best-selling author Paul Brothwick. His new book is called How to Be a World-Class Christian, Becoming Part of God's Global Kingdom. Uh, Paul, that, that tortured answer there from a, a beauty pageant contestant a couple of years ago, certainly... Uh, troubling in terms of just the notion of the of the level of, of of disconnectivity at a day and an age when quite frankly staying connected and being educated and and being able to participate is easier now than it ever was before well i've i've had an elder at our church ask us uh 
what is the capital of Africa? And, uh, and you know, if you don't get that that's a, uh, a joke, it's there are 53 or 55 countries in Africa, each with their own capital, you know, and yet he thinks of Africa as a country, not as a continent, you know, and yeah, it's, it's kind of scary. Um, I oftentimes ask um, people who are either new to this country or international students, what's the stupidest question that an American has ever asked you? And I had a student this past semester from Malawi, southeastern Africa, and um, and I asked him what is the stupidest question, and they, they somebody he was up in uh, Maine, not, not too far from us, and the church that he was hosted by asked him when he started wearing clothes. <laughs> All right, and and he thought it was a joke. Sure. So he said, well, when I came to New York after I got through customs, I decided to buy some clothes. And the people were horrified, and he knew they weren't kidding, meaning that they didn't know. And he, because they were thinking, you know, he had come all the way over here buck naked and bought clothes on the other side of customs in New York City. <laughs> and yet they were, you know, and one of my uh, friends in Nigeria said he got so tired of Americans asking him how he learned English when Nigeria is an English-speaking country. And he said, uh, he said, finally, I got, I decided to tell him I was, I learned it on the plane on the flight over. <laughs> You know, but I mean, to be fair, and I, I, you know, I can be as critical as anybody about Americans' lack of geography knowledge, uh, but to be fair, there is hardly a place on planet Earth where you can travel for 3,000 continuous miles, speak one language, go to Denny's, you know, stay at Hampton Inn, ride on highways that look all remarkably the same in terms of their signposts and everything, so, I mean, in one sense, unlike a country like Luxembourg or Switzerland, where we're surrounded by three or four other language-speaking countries, you know, Americans can be pretty lazy about it. Now, I mean, obviously, um, the influx of Spanish speakers and Chinese speakers, Korean speakers, whatever, is changing some of that in our urban areas. But generally speaking, we don't have to learn about the other countries of the world and many times I've traveled and people will say they know more about my country, meaning the USA, than I do. And sometimes they do because they are directly affected by the decisions that our government makes and decisions that our military makes. And I'm, you know, it's, it affects me somewhat, but not on a day-to-day basis, generally speaking. As the world is coming more to us, and and as we certainly, as you've explained earlier, Paul, not been relieved of any obligation in terms of, you know, the the perspective of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the earth, um, how can, how should Christians begin to develop uh, not just a Christian worldview, but how to become a world-class Christian? Well, I think one of the things that I advocate in the book is obviously cultivating some information, you know, learning about places, that that the Islam of Iran is not the same as the Islam of Iraq, for example. And uh, and what's going on in Egypt affects the entire Arabic-speaking world. Or, you know, learning something about what uh, one article in Time magazine calls the upcoming Chindian century, and it's talking about how the economies of China and India will probably be more significant in the next hundred years than the USA. And wrestling with those kind of questions, even if we disagree with them, to just get some information that sort of rattles our cage a little bit, because the United States, depending on whose statistics you use, is really only about 5% of the world's population. And so if God so loved the world, John 3.16, 
then there's a lot to be learned about the world that God loves outside of our own country, as well as within it. One very simple thing that I propose in the book, and in the time that we had on the radio, I want to make sure to say this, because every person, when you start thinking about the world, can feel pretty overwhelmed by it. So my number one creative idea, and I think it's the only one I've ever had, is start your knowledge for the world by praying for the country on the label of your clothes. Okay? So when you take your clothes off, you change any pajamas or whatever tonight, take a look at it, see where it's made, and pray for that country. And I dare say that probably 90% of the clothes in your closet are made someplace else in the world. And you can start learning about them. You know, China's obviously going to be there. India, world's largest Hindu country. Indonesia, the world's largest Muslim country. And these places are touching us that way just to get us started thinking about the fact that the world is in our midst, starting with our own, our own wardrobe. And as we pointed out earlier, and, and the world is coming to us, and so the ability to be educated, to be sensitive, particularly as we take into consideration uh, religious differences, cultural viewpoints, uh, can only help but to make us not only more sensitive, but more effective when it comes to sharing the gospel. Yeah, and, and I believe, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of debates about immigration and unregistered people and illegal aliens and all this other stuff. But in, very, in one very specific Christian perspective on it is, I want people to abide by the law. That's not my point. But they're here, and maybe God brought them here so they could hear the gospel from us. As one Toronto pastor said, Toronto is probably the most international city in, US, in, in, the, uh, in North America. Uh, and he, he's a Toronto pastor, and he said, uh, God commanded us to go to all the nations. We didn't go, so he's bringing all the nations to us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you can go down to Southern California and meet a scad of people from, uh, from Iran. They'll call themselves Persians, but they're from Iran, and many of them are adherents to Shiite Islam or to uh, Zoroastrianism, a religion from Iran. And they may have never heard the gospel till they came to come to this country. And if we don't reach out to them, they may still never hear the gospel. And it's just, you know, an amazing uh, opportunity that God's given us. Uh, one, one quick uh, lesson that I learned from one of my professors he said, when you're walking down the street, let's say in the Bay Area, you're walking down you know, uh, streets in San Francisco, and you see a man uh, with his wife, she has a headscarf on, or you know, there's something about their attire that tells you the, the distinctively some other religion. Maybe he has, he has the turban on, and he tells you, it tells you he's a Sikh. He says, he says, pray as you pass by that person, just breathe a prayer, shoot up a prayer on behalf of that person. He said, you might be praying for someone who's never been prayed for in Jesus' name before in their whole lives. And you're bringing that person before Jesus for the first time. And I mean, think of that as, yeah, what a staggering opportunity that we have when the people have come to our country because they're finding this is the place for, you know, uh, a better economic future. But why not help give them a better eternal future? We mentioned earlier that in addition to just taking the time to get educated in something simple as maybe saying, uh, you know, I'm going to see where my shirt was made, Google the name, look at the country, pray for that country tonight. Um, you, you talk to a lot in the book about uh, um, being able to get a, a focus on being globally aware. Certainly compassion fatigue sometimes can be a challenge, as we lightly touched on earlier. But when we bring this whole thing together, 
How do you believe that God wants us to develop to develop this this Christian worldview? How to become uniquely a world class Christian? Well, I think that uh, it has something to do with a phrase that I picked up off a bumper sticker. I don't even think it was Christian by nature, but it said, "It said, think globally, act locally." Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think that's a great summary of what I'm after in my own life. You know, as well as. Uh, in encouragement in this book to to realize that a we're part of a global christian family so when the church suffers in i'll use egypt since i referred to that earlier uh... that my family is suffering you know so i i'm thinking about that but i'm also acting locally so that when i meet the uh... egyptian guy at the medical clinic uh, I, I'm aware of the fact that, you know, I might be reaching out to someone that my friends in Egypt have never been able to reach. And so, you know, it's all a matter of a mindset. It's going into the day. I mean, just this morning I was uh, preparing my breakfast and remembered to pray for Columbia, South America, because when I took the sticker off of the bananas, uh, it, it was actually harvested in Columbia. It says it right there on the sticker. You know, just sort of keeping aware of the fact that there's a bigger world than just the world that I'm in. And you know, many many people are struggling with the economics of the, t- the situation today. Maybe they're in a unemployment situation or underemployment. But just trying to get past ourselves a little bit to realize there's a big world out there, and uh, we have an awesome God, and we need to get plugged into thinking of ourselves as His agents in this world, whether we're in the unemployment line or we're in the gas station talking to somebody who might have just come here from another country. Get a copy of Paul's book. This will open your eyes and help you develop more of this sense of that Christian worldview. How to be a world-class Christian, becoming part of God's global kingdom. And our thanks to Paul Bothwick for being with us tonight on this edition of Lifeline. The book, by the way, published by InterVarsity Press and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. On today's edition of the program, a gentleman that is certainly no stranger to the KFAX audience. He has had a presence on this radio station for many, many years and a fixture in Bay Area ministry as he serves as the senior pastor of Destiny Christian Fellowship and the host of Destined for Victory, heard Monday through Friday at 3.30 p.m. right here on KFAX. Pleased to have join us today in studio, Pastor Paul Shepard. Pastor Shepard, great to see you. Thanks, Craig. It's always good to be with you and to be part of what you're doing here at KFAX, one of my favorite stations in all of America. That's really true, and I love the opportunity to be with you. You read that just the way I wrote it all, but be sure to give you the 20 bucks later on. Hey, this year you've got a couple of major milestones taking place in your life and your ministry. 35 years in pulpit ministry, and come May, 35 years of marriage to your lovely wife, Meredith. Congratulations. Thank you so much. That's right. I started in vocational ministry in 1982, and that was the same year I started in vocational ministry as an associate pastor in my home church, no less. I became the associate pastor where my dad was the senior pastor, and it was the church I grew up in. So I became the associate pastor of people who taught me in Sunday school. I call it a baptism by fire. That's the way to start your ministry. Let people who have known you all your life uh, try try to impress them and see how that works out. And that's how I got started in 1982 in March of that year. And then in May, May 1st of 1982, I married Meredith 
And that was the greatest decision I made since accepting Christ as my Savior. She is a godsend, and it is an honor to be coming up on our 35th wedding anniversary. This all began back in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's right. That was my hometown. Uh, Meredith and her family, she was a teenager when her family joined my dad's church, and she joined our youth group, and we did various outings together, and we found ourselves dating, and through a long process, because I, I wasn't convinced I needed to date one person as a teenager. I dated as many folks as I could, frankly, but she was still hanging around. And by my early 20s, when I realized, you know what, I better start thinking about getting married, I couldn't get her off of my mind. And, Craig, I just have to be honest with you and your audience, I married up. And I married above my pay grade, but that was a great, great blessing because through thick and thin, she's been with me. And to this day, she uh, walks with me in the ministry here at Destiny Christian Fellowship. Such an honor to be her husband, such an honor to have her as a life partner. Tell us the story of God's calling on your life, particularly directing you into the ministry. You mentioned about the fact that you were raised in the church. You're a PK, a preacher's kid. Uh, We know that typically a lot of PKs end up going in the absolute opposite direction, maybe as a black sheep for a while coming back in. I think of Franklin Graham who went and wandered, (laughs) got involved in liquor and motorcycles and all of that before he repented and, and, of course, now is running the ministry that his father, Billy Graham, founded back in the 1950s. But that sense of calling, um, when did you feel as if this was something more than just showing up at church because that's what Dad wanted you to do? Well, I found out early on that the Lord's hand was on me to share good news with then young people. So when I was a young, when I was a teenager, uh, I began to be invited to speak at youth meetings. And I would tell folks, well, I'm not a preacher. My dad's the preacher. But, you know, I'd love to share with you my own testimony of, of coming to, to know Christ here in my early life. And and so I started doing that. Next thing I know, I found myself being invited to speak at, like, youth weekends at churches. And one of the real milestones happened when I think I was about 16, and I did a youth weekend at a church in Kansas City, Friday night, Saturday, we had a few sessions, a couple of sessions, and then Sunday morning, the pastor asked me to speak because he was making it a youth emphasis in his morning service. I said to him, well, sir, I'm not a preacher. I said, so I, I, I can't do anything on Sunday morning. That's for preachers. He said, no, I've made it a youth service, and I'll just bill you as the youth speaker all weekend long, and I'll make sure I never use the word preacher when you're doing that. I said, okay, good. I, I'll come and do it. And the funny thing is, uh, when I got to Kansas City that Friday to start that weekend, he had several uh, Christian youth in his church, but most of them were not saved. By the time we ended the Sunday morning service, every young person in that church had given his or her life to Christ. So the pastor is driving me to the airport, Kansas City Airport, Sunday afternoon, and at a certain point, he stopped and shook his finger, looked at me and said, I don't care what you call yourself, you are a preacher. And the quicker you accept it, the better off you'll be. And that was when I began thinking, okay, maybe I'll have to do this, but at least I won't be a pastor. That's what I won't do. So I'll speak sometimes, (laughs) but I definitely don't want to be a pastor. That's my dad's job. And I fought. I was in college at the University of Pennsylvania, 
still trying not to be a preacher or a pastor. But by then, I was sensing the Holy Spirit was saying, you can do this the easy way or the hard way. And uh, finally, I surrendered. I majored in religious studies and started preparing myself for ministry. Was there ever a point in those early formative days that you thought, what am I doing here? Uh, the sense of, of, of wandering ever, ever uh, uh, impact your thinking? For me, uh, to be honest, because I loved the Lord since uh, my early life, I had to learn all of my lessons, even the ones learned through disobedience and all that I learned in the Christian life. You know, a lot of times you hear people testify about how hard their life was in sin, and then I came to Jesus, and they kind of give you the impression that all the sin is in their past and all the victory was since they met the Lord. I don't have that testimony because I got saved so young, all my mess-ups have been after I walked with Christ. But here's the good news. I found out I learned more about Christ, that he doesn't want to just seal the deal, close the deal of getting people saved. Too often, I think, the church uses salvation as the end. But to tell you the truth, that's when we began the real journey of growth that's when we begin often the real journey of learning how sinful we are and can be. We have to learn how to walk in obedience. And so all of those lessons for me were learned after I said yes to Jesus Christ. But I'm so glad it's been a journey. In fact, that's why my church is called Destiny Christian Fellowship, because I've come to learn we're all on our way to a, a destiny that God himself has committed to getting us to. He said, I began the good work in you, and I'm going to bring it all the way to completion. And ladies and gentlemen, you are not complete. You're nowhere near complete until God says so. So plan to enjoy the journey and walk with Jesus every step of the way. Is it a mistake when sometimes we think that unless someone has had a, a, a soul on the road to Damascus experience, that somehow, and by that I mean a background of wanderlust and sin and all of this, and then when somebody gets saved because they were a former member of the mafia or what have you, think, wow, what a spectacular <laughs> testimony. But then I think to myself, like in your case, there's no less of a testimony to say, look at what God has kept me from and right. brought me through in my relationship with the Lord that goes back to my, my formative years, you know, uh, the preteen years, whatever the case might be. To me, that's as powerful a testimony as I suddenly lost my sight and met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. I agree with you wholeheartedly. We need all of the different types of testimonies. We should not despise any of them. We need the people who were saved out of the mafia. We need uh, one of the young men I discipled early in my, as an associate pastor, was a young man who was a gangbanger in Philly, and he had a big reputation uh, for that kind of lifestyle. He got saved, really fell in love with Jesus, so I would take him around in my early days of preaching. He would drive me there, and I was kind of discipling him and I, I'll never forget one time I said, you know, I have a young man here with me. I'm just going to let him share a little bit of his testimony before I end this message. And I'm going to uh, throw open the lifeline, let, let people come to Christ. And so he came up unpolished, and he told him a little bit about his life and the gangs and all that. And he said, so the bottom line is all you suckers need to get saved. <laughs> and I thought that is the coolest altar call I've ever seen. And sure enough, a bunch of people came to the altar. I don't know if they were scared or they were convicted, but they came. And it is good to see how God uses all of us, no matter what we've come out of, 
that Christ is the answer. Pastor Paul Shepard in studio with us today. Of course, he is Senior Pastor of Destiny Christian Fellowship, located in the city of Fremont. You can get more information, by the way, on the web at destinybayarea.org. That's destinybayarea.org. His broadcast, Destined for Victory, heard weekdays at 3.30 p.m. right here on KFAX. And we'll tell you more about that coming up a little bit later on in our conversation. A brief time out back to more of our visit with Pastor Paul Shepard right after this. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 